Hey guys, we want to let you know about a really special opportunity that uh, we do with Brighton a Day every year around Christmas time. We're trying to help out Christmas or families during Christmas because that's a really rough time for families who've lost children, as most of you know. If you're regular listeners of the program, the Brighton a Day Foundation was founded by Kevin and Bethany to help families who've lost their kids. And it does wonders for these families. So we freaking, we need your help, guys. So I brought Kevin and, of course, Bethany to kind of talk about this year's Brighton a Christmas push and just kind of plug it a little bit and tell us about even a little bit about, because we have somebody coming on the next episode that's going to be directly affected by your donations this year. Go ahead. <laughs> I get to say stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. So this year, um, one of the families we're going to be helping, uh, it's probably the most crazy like story me and Bethany have heard since being... Which is why he's coming on the podcast next yeah, week. Yeah, he'll be, he'll <laughs> be on next is, week. Anyway, yeah, this, this family, basically, they took on two little kids. One of them was six weeks old. The other one was a year and a half. Um, his sister was murdered, and, and his, his nephew. nephew was murdered. And given these kids when they their youngest is like 12 years old or something like that, and now they start all over, we want to help that family. We want to try to make it that way. Christmas should not be something that they're going to be grieving a ton already. We want to try to help that out. Uh, some of the other things we do with the writing of Christmas as well, besides just this family, we'll probably have another family, but we also put together baskets for families that have lost children because as a parent that's lost a child, you don't want people to feel like they've been forgotten. And so we try to put together, Bethany's really good at that stuff. She puts together all these things and we drop them off and, you know, we always donate to it, but we it's would love... It's just a good way... Christmas is a really, really hard time for people when you're grieving because it's just a reminder of who's not there. And so it's just a good way to give someone something happy, something good, something to remember them. So like the baskets, I mean, some of these people, it's been years and years and we want them to know we don't, we still remember and we still know it's hard and we still are grieving with them because obviously we're still grieving as well. And then with the Ozunas, they are just neatest family. And these little kids are just the cutest little things ever. And we just want to help them and make sure, because we all know raising kids is hard. And when you have two that you weren't quite expecting all of a sudden, you just need help. It's a lot of financial stress and it's a lot of work. And we want to help them. Yeah. And they had three of their own as well. So anything you guys can do would would be so appreciated. So how do people donate? What, um, what can they do? What are they? What do you really need? Um, what we need, I mean, because the, the hard part is I know there's so many good people out there and they want to help. And you're like, oh, I'll go out and help you buy stuff. The thing is with, with Amazon now, it just makes it so easy where we just find everything like that. But honestly, just funds, which you can donate by going on to brightonaday.org. Brighton is B-R-I-G-H-T-O-N, not E-N, aday.org. Um, there's a link on there. You can donate again. All those funds will go directly to helping these families out. We don't take anything, guys. This is not what our foundation is about. It's just about pushing this movement to help these other families just like us have a better life. So brightonaday.org, 
go right now. Click on the donate button. Give whatever you can. We really need your help, guys. Also, if you're looking for the link to brightonyourday.org, you can go to the show notes. You can go to our Facebook. It's linked there as well. You can go to our um, Instagram. All of this has links directly yeah, back to brightonyourday.org. Our Brighton personal pages, org. too. Mine and yours yep, have it. Personal so. pages as well. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of trees that are going up at the Festival of Trees here locally in Utah. So you can go there and kind of see the trees there as well. Yeah, I, I mean, okay. You have no idea how much Kevin, Bethany, and the Brighton a Day people do every year for these families. It means so, so, so much to these people, and they can't do it without the help of the masses. That's where you guys come in. So please, brightonaday.org, hit it up, donate what you can. We really appreciate the Finding Strength community. You guys are the greatest supporters for causes like this, and we can't thank you enough. So... Without further ado, we have our next episode. This episode is going to blow your minds. Here you go. I'll start talking and then all of a sudden he'll be like, yep, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> Got her again, That's why I try to look at the screen so I know exactly when it starts. All right. I'm sorry. That's We're kind back. of a mean trick. It's I been a few anymore. weeks. It has. More than that. Cow. We've been kind of MIA. I, wow. I don't even. <laughs> Math life is a shit show. <laughs> People. It's crazy right now. That's Okay. It's I'm glad fine. we're recording, though. He's living with his in-laws. It, it, it's... Um, which is why we're recording at my house, which is kind of fun. We should it do this fun. more we're often. We're in the tent. He's like, kitchen, hanging out. <laughs> Kevin's here. We usually this record. This is an escape for you. Yes. <laughs> we usually record in Matt's office at his house, but he doesn't have a house right now, so it's fine. I'm homeless. It's okay. <laughs> yes. Not the first time. You all know that. Who was, yeah. who was our last one? Great question. Danny. Danny. A girl. Danny. It was Danny. Yeah, okay. I just have to remember because, it, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Hers, so feedback off of hers has been insane. I've had people reaching out. I've had different departments reaching out and wanting to talk. Actually, today, I went and met with the Lehigh Fire Department and their mental health task force, and I'm starting to create a program with them for mental health support for Lehigh Fire. Freaking way cool. That is awesome. It's awesome. So there's, dude, we're moving and shaking. There's some good stuff going on for sure. It's, it's really cool. So it works. And I'm excited about today because actually the last time we were going to record, I had to bail because of life insanity. And now we finally made it. I'm excited. I know. So we have Kevin's aunt, Kathy, but I can't say Kathy because she, you've been Aunt Taffy ever since I've ever heard of you. <laughs> yeah. Technically, like, Kathleen. Is Kathleen. <laughs> <laughs> but is that, yeah. So anyways, this is Kevin's aunt, and Kevin's actually here with us today, too. I'm here. I won't talk very much, probably. But We're sharing a mic, which means one, he's The one, the only, <laughs> Kevin Tenney of Tenney's Pizza. <laughs> They'll hear you at so the beginning Kevin, of the show, before the show. you can start and introduce just for a second, and then we'll get... So I get to introduce you? Yes. Heck yeah. So, okay, so I'm idea. like super stoked. I 
you know, I, I helped bring on some of the guests and mm-hmm. we were going through people and I was like, oh my gosh, my Aunt Taffy, she's got a story. And we talked a little bit before we started recording here and she's like, I never even thought about that of what, we'll get into it, but all the different layers that you have to yourself, which is beautiful and I admire you so much and I feel like her story will have what most people have one of the many things that she has gone through and is going through. And so I am stoked to have you here. So, as, yes. Well, thank as you for we. having me. Yeah, we're so stoked to have you. So I know your story only from Kevin, but kind of usually how we start, Beth and I are going to switch roles. This is kind of fun. Because normally you don't know the person. That is true. And I, I'm I do. Like, and this is like you? role reversal. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I kind of don't know you and I want to get to know you. So you've heard the podcast before. You kind of know the drill, right? Like, but like, where did you grow up? How did life begin? Where have you been? What's going on? You're going to love this, Matt. I'm excited. So I grew up in a super Mormon family awesome. in San Diego, California. Yes. And I was the youngest of six children. And my father was like, well, we were sort of like the Brady Bunch of Mormonism, you, sh- you could say. Um, my dad was always like really high up in the church, um, bishop, stake president, mission president, um, so and temple sealer. Yeah, he married us. So, yeah, me too. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of pressure growing up in that kind of environment. Although, like, I probably had what I consider, like, the idyllic childhood. Like, my parents loved each other. They loved us kids. I had tons of freedom to just, like, explore. I could... Like go Probably out. Help that you were number six, and so yeah. they were beat down by that point. Too. Yeah, right. They <laughs> they gave me lots is, of freedom. Which number is Kevin's dad? Like in the old, he's number one. So your dad's the oldest. Yeah, and, and they're we're the fifteen years apart Got from it. each other. So Ooh, that's yeah, a little bit of a gap. Yeah. Wow. So nice. Yeah. So you didn't really live together. No, like he was going on his mission. By the time I can remember, you know him. Mm-hmm. The memories that I have, and I remember um, Kevin's mother um, coming to meet us for the first time, and like really loving her, and awesome. always have, yeah, just a great family. So, yeah, and Kevin's awesome. Yeah. He's always been like the sweet, cute, smiley guy, and <laughs> you guys should see his face right now. I'm blushing. I'm blushing. He's blushing. It's adorable. <laughs> I've always felt a connection there, yeah. That's so cool. We'll get to that point. Good. So <laughs> as far as your other siblings, who are the, cl- um, age-wise, who are you the closest to? So Carolyn is the next oldest to me. She's five years older than I am. So you so were like a, a little gap. caboose. Yeah. My mom, my understanding is my mother had a miscarriage in between us, um, and I. they felt like they had one more to come, and yeah, my dad prophesied that I'd be a blonde, blue-eyed little girl. <laughs> and um, I wasn't named until they got up to gave me, give me a blessing at church. And Really? Yeah. They, hadn't, they had talked about different names, but um, when he got up, he felt prompted that I was Kathleen. And he always, you know, 
loved that name and would sing Kathleen Mavorneen to me. That's cool. (laughs) So my question is, I have no idea why I've called you Aunt Taffy my whole entire life. I have no idea where Taffy even came from. Where where did that I heard lots of different reasons. Like one of them was that my hair was the cut. I had long blonde hair and it was like streaked when I was born. So they said it looked like pulled taffy. Um, that was one reason. Another one was that one of the kids couldn't say um, Kathy and said taffy. Another one was that my mom knew a taffy. I you so I really don't know which one to go <laughs> with, awesome. but it's stuck, and that's been like my family name always. So it's like if somebody says taffy, I look like it's my name. That's cool. So. Yeah, I I don't I'll never be able to call you Kathy. It's just yeah. it's just no. not in my And I've only known you for like 20 something years and I call you Kathy. <laughs> so, how long did you live in California? Well, I lived in California until I graduated from high school in 1981. So, what part of Cal- San Diego? San, it was in El Cajon. El Cajon. So, nice. we were kind of up on the border of La Mesa. La Mesa. Yeah, and cool. um, what high school did you go to? I went to Valhalla. Valhalla. My dad went to Grossmont. Okay, around, yeah. and it was around similar time periods. But yeah, yeah, yep. So they they were in, they were also on the Mesa right there. So you guys were kind of neighbors. That's cool for sure. Yeah, yeah. I had friends that went there. So. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Small world as always. Right? It really is. Yeah. So, so you graduated and you came to Utah. No, I went to Where'd Arkansas with them. They became mission presidents. Oh, yeah, that was then. Yeah, and they really wanted me to go with them. I had hesitations because I, during that time I had become a little rebellious. I had started to kind of pull away from the church a little. Um, but I, I went with them and spent a year there working. Um, I worked for... Um, this can't be yogurt, which then turned to TCBY, oh, which nice. then became like in every airport. And yeah, yeah. and if I had stayed, um, I would be a multimillionaire now <laughs> <laughs> because I was one of the original employees and he offered stock to all of his original employees before he went um yeah. Before he franchised. Oh, I know TCBY yoga. That's yeah. all over the place in California. Yeah. Is it out here too? Do you guys it, know that? It was. Yeah, yeah it's kind of gone by the wayside now, yeah, but at the time it was, time, really it was cool. huge. Yeah. So I loved it. I missed my opportunity, I guess, <laughs> to be, you know, my millions. But yeah. That's cool. So you get, so you do two years in Arkansas. One year. One. Yeah. And then one. I went oh, okay. to BYU. So I left and went out to BYU, felt like BYU was kind of too big for me. Like, um, I felt like it was just, I was a small fish in a way too big sea. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who was down in Southern Utah at Southern Utah, um, state college at that time. Now it's Southern Utah university. But, um, I went down there to see her and really loved it and, asked my dad if I could go to school there, um, which was really kind of him to let me go, considering that my tuition was completely paid for at BYU. But um, yeah, he said, sure, go go down there. And about a week after I went there, I met my husband, Jeff, and we connected really fast. Um, and yeah, we... 
got together really quick. <laughs> so. so this is where the story begins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, this was the part that, uh, and we, we talked just a little bit about this, um, where Matt can relate to this as well. Um, growing up, I had no idea. So your oldest, his name is Sean, and I remember Sean. I was probably, how old would Sean be? He'd be... Well, he 30. was born in 1985, so, I so was he would be 34, 34 right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had no idea my whole childhood that he was born out of wedlock or anything like that, which I, I thought <clears throat> it, it's interesting because I don't care, you know, like, but it seemed like on my side, it was kind of hidden a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that whole, you know, cause I was asking you about what your dad, cause your dad is like one of my big, I, I loved your dad. He was, he's like the best human being ever. He just loved I everybody. Agree. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I thought about it. I'm like, how did he react to that? You know, because all I've ever known him as is love. And then, but you throw something like that where maybe he didn't know how to react. So I'll let you kind of answer that loaded question. Yeah. (laughs) So it really was an awkward moment because my poor husband was meeting my parents for the first time and the news was going to come out that I was pregnant. And he knows that he's talking to, you know, somebody that's just coming off a mission as a mission president and his wife. And, um, that had to be incredibly awkward for him. But my parents, you know, we met at JB's in Cedar City because um, they literally were coming directly off their mission and stopping by to see us. And um, so we shared the news with them. And class act that my dad was, he said, do you love each other? And we said, yes. And he said, well, then what can we do to help you? Because, you know, we love you. So... Um. That's amazing. Yeah. And that gives me the chills. That's like the best response you could ever get from a parent. Like you have yeah. to know this man's oh my gosh. the best man I've it's ever incredible. Known. Yeah. So that yeah. is really cool. So they really did rally around us and um they took us down to this little secondhand shop and helped us get set up with furniture and getting getting a little place for ourselves. I mean, it was like ugly grandma furniture, but <laughs> but hey, we were grateful for it. For like sure. the world was in front of us and we were excited to move forward together, you know, given that, you know, the best, trying to make the best of a hard situation because, you know, we didn't anticipate that would happen. Um, but I have to say that, you know, my upbringing in the church is probably what ended up causing that. Um, When you say that, what do you mean? Like, so, I mean, we had a lot of, um, chemistry together, you know, you and Jeff did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, we loved each other. And as, as we all know, when that happens, you know, things are going to happen between teenagers and young adults that love each other. And, because of growing up in the church, I never felt like that was an acceptable form of um, acceptable to do together, you know, out of wedlock. Right. So 
we would try not to, but you know, we wanted to kiss and things, one thing leads to another and things happen. Those pesky hormones get in the way all the time. Exactly. I know better than anybody. This happened to me. So my story is the same. I I have the same story. Yeah. Back rubs in the front rub. Yeah. (laughs) Front rubs in the back rub. Yeah. It's true. That's That's the thing. It's just part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just how it goes sometimes. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, in a normal situation, parents really should talk to their kids about that and be like, hey, this is a normal part of life. And when you love somebody, get on birth control. Like... But it wasn't okay, so you don't want to give permission when you're in the church as a parent, you know? You feel I, like if you give the permission, then they're going to do it, right? I love, like, that parents think they have that much control. I know, right? <laughs> I don't want to give my child permission. You you think they care what you say? I know, exactly. I don't Quite the opposite, in fact. It becomes a forbidden fruit. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And unspoken things scream loudly. Yeah. Right? Like when we can't talk about this thing and it's the elephant in the room. I mean, there's a re- think about that metaphor for a second. If there's an elephant in the room, that's a big freaking deal. Yeah. And that's the elephant in the room constantly with teenagers because they're walking around all day long, especially the teenage boys, and they, they're just walking around and you're freaking looking down at your shorts and you're like, what the hell's going on down there? And you have no <laughs> idea. Like it's crazy when you're a kid and girls are no different. Yeah. Because they want to feel this connection just like the boys do. And the way we're designed to connect as human beings is to have sex. Well, I think the thing is, too, if you're having, and who knows, I'm still working with my teenagers, but if you're having these conversations and being very open, then you know, it's like my kids, I've been very open about the fact, you know, I'd rather them not do certain things, but if they're going to, I want to help them. Exactly. And so yeah, it's like you prepare if, them. If you're gonna have sex, well, we need to talk and let me help you because having sex is one thing. Having a baby that adds a whole other dimension to life that we're not. I wasn't ready for. Yeah. <laughs> Most people are not ready for. You exactly. know exactly. So I think that's that's the biggest issue. Is like these conversations. It needs to be more open. More yeah, for sure. Accepted. Well, and trust me, I wouldn't take it back in that. I had this beautiful son from that, but the timing was off, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, we would have been more prepared to be better parents and be more stable and, you know, uh, it worked out because we both were dedicated people that, you know, wanted the best for our family. But yeah, I mean, I was very much, that whole situation was very much, um, in my mind, formed by my upbringing. And, and really, like you brought up a point about, yeah, girls have the same desires, but yet it's not acceptable for a girl to have the same exactly. desires. It's That's not. so important. And girls are blamed. I felt very blamed for the whole situation. Like, not, not by... You're supposed to stop it. Yeah. Right? I was supposed to be the stronger one. I was supposed to be the one that said no. Like the boys just have no control over their <laughs> their that bodies, is true. and that's probably true. Me and Bethany would be in the same boat if yeah. she had my brain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but see, I do feel like I have that same brain, sort of like, and it's not good okay for you. No, that's good. <laughs> but I mean, well, I'm just saying, like, people are on a spectrum, and it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. But it's like 
why does the female get blamed for it? It's not, you know, it's yeah. things happen. Well, it's, it's a, it's a culture of responsibility. And if we blame women for this thing, blame is all about responsibility. You put the responsibility on the woman, it gives the man an out so he can bail because, well, and, th- and that's a tacit thing, right? That's attached to this idea, this culture of responsibility that we place on women, but that extends into the home too. Whose responsibility is it to raise the children? Whose responsibility is it to rear the children? Not just raise them, but rear them. Like take care of them, put them, put everything together, make sure the school gets like this is a culture that exists not just in in, in Christianity, but exists across humanity. And that's something that we're working to try and 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 question and talk about and open be open up to that. That maybe this is more of an equal partnership than we realize. But the thing you're talking about is, is just that's the kind of the tipping point, or I guess the the seed for this idea of the responsibility for all things kids being on the women. Mm-hmm. And that begins at that moment when we're talking about, well, the woman's gotta say no. Yeah. Or the girl's gotta say no, essentially. Yeah. I agree with you. There's... It goes deeper than that. It's not just the girl's gotta say no, it's well, what was she wearing? Exactly. Totally. And to me, I'm like, uh, why was she in that situation? I'm like, I can be naked and I still, you have no rights to do anything. I still can choose whatever I choose. You know what I mean? And that drives me. That's a, that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this comes up, this has come up several times on the podcast. Yeah. It really has come up several times on the podcast because this is a, this is a large issue right now. It's a big issue right now for many different reasons, but, the, re- the, the real thing that has happened was this Me Too movement and what we saw going down in Hollywood. And culturally right now, we're at this precipice where we're, st- we're starting to, for the first time, talk about, really talk about and have this open conversation that's across, you know, that's cultural about, okay, what is the role of women in society? That's something that's been ongoing and kind of is now starting to really gain momentum and this is this is right up that alley. So it's actually quite timely. Yeah. Yeah. So from that so from that point, after you have Sean, what what were some of the biggest things for you at that point that you guys what were some of your struggles, you know, going into a marriage where you have a child on the way already? Kind of guide us well, where's the mindset? Did at you that get point? married quick once? Yeah. At that point. So, I mean, it was still kind of kept hidden, right? Because no, everybody wants to pretend that it didn't happen, right? So <laughs> No one can count months. So I didn't really have a real wedding. <laughs> like I, I, And a lot of it was on me because I felt shame. And I felt tremendous guilt and shame that I carried for years and years and years. And... Um, so I was, you know, pregnant, obviously, and we couldn't get married in the temple because you have to wait, you know, a year after you get married civilly in order to get married in the temple. So we got married in a chapel and I bought a little dress that was like just a basic dress and my friend made my wedding cake and I, I mean, we had some little you know, finger foods that family members had brought and made. And 
I mean, it was in a Mormon church with just chairs set up. And I think I had like one trellis that was like behind the thing that had flowers. That was the extent of the decorations. Was it under a basketball hoop? Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, I mean, I really got cheated out of the whole wedding thing because it's of... the punishment. Yeah. Yep. And, it, and it was sort of self-inflicted, but also nobody really encouraged anything different. It was like... Okay, yeah, let's do this quick and like get it over with. Hurry and, before you start yeah, to show. Yeah, it's kind of sad in a way because I think if that happened with my daughter, not to take anything away from my parents because I love them, but if my daughter was in a similar situation, I would totally want to celebrate the moment with her and let her have her moment and not make it about shame and guilt. And, and obviously, as you can tell, because I'm talking a lot, <laughs> this is an issue that I've thought a lot about because it's my issue too. Like this is something that's that's very core to who I am. And I've had to work through a lot of this. And and what I've come to find, like I love that you said like my parents kind of, were, they were doing the best they could. My parents, 100% doing the best they could. The only reason things went down the way they did is because of the culture. Yeah, it's exactly. because of how things are supposed yeah. to go down yeah. in the situation. Yeah. There's an unwritten script of you do it the right way or you do it the wrong way. And the whole time we felt like we're doing it the wrong way. And that is so difficult to overcome for freaking children. Yeah. I was a child. My wife was 19, right? How old were you? I was 20. 20. That's a child. Your mm-hmm. brain isn't even developed. My husband was 25. 18. 18, yeah. right? Like, and I cheated him out of his mission, <laughs> and I lived with that guilt the yeah, whole time, totally. too. That's another whole subject there. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he lived with that, you know, every time he sat in priesthood meeting, and they talked about, where did you go on your mission, you know, and he... Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I didn't, you know, and then the whole subject is like, well, why? why and then he's like, yep. you know, has to relive the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And just constant. It was a constant um, subject in our marriage and really affected the celebration of our life together. Like we could never truly, I mean, we've been married, you know, for so many years and it's like we can't like even really fully celebrate it because it's shrouded in this whole guilt and shame thing. Yeah. That's tough. It's tough to get through. And so, but it sounds like you did get through it and we you did. had how many, how many kids did you, we so had you had three children, first kid and then you had mm-hmm. a couple more. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, after Sean was born, neither one of us was really active at the time. Um, Active, we, active, like active Mormon, active in the right, church. Right, but we both decided that we, you know, wanted to raise our family in the church because that's all we really knew, and um, so we decided to become active again, and we threw ourselves into it completely. And um, for all of our married life, we were extremely active Mormons. We went to church every Sunday, and yeah. Awesome. Took our kids and and what what did that look like? I know you guys have lived in a few different places and my favorite, by the way, was when you guys lived in Las Vegas. You guys gave me my appreciation for that. I used to <laughs> love going down there and visiting you guys. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember those days. That was fun. Um, yeah, I mean, 
we both just really threw ourselves into it, had callings very active in the church. You know, I was in the Relief Society presidency, Young Women's Presidencies. I was the Young Women's President, you know. Um, did you, were you like, did you work? Did you stay home with the kids? No, I was a stay-at-home mom. I really fell into a lot of the choices that I made in my life were really based upon that. Like I have, I have what I feel like is a really good brain. Like I could have gone to school and done really well. And then in fact, when I did go back to school, I did really well in school and I loved school. And, but I was very much formed by, I just want to be a mom. And I watched my mother and, you know, she stayed home with the kids and you go to school to get married and Mm -hmm. that's kind of especially at that time period that was what you did you know Mm -hmm. so I fell into that role very well and I tried to live it as best I could but honestly I sort of always felt different if I'm going to be completely honest I felt maybe it was the guilt and shame that I carried around but I I felt different from other Mormon women like I didn't quite fit in so that I think that's a common feeling amongst human beings in general that we just kind of like shove down. And I think that we <clears throat> kind of grow up in different realms of the world and, and there's different belief systems that how like I don't, the way that I think of it is innately within me, I have like a voice, right? Like myself, my true self, who I really am. And that part of me is like yelping all the time, like saying the truth and teaching me who I really am. And, and that part of me sometimes will show up and be like, oh, you kind of don't, this isn't a place where you like fit in real well. And then you look around and you're like, but I got to do this because this is what I'm supposed to do. And, and, that, and that's something that I think a lot of people do. We just kind of turn that down and that's, okay to have that part of us that's not like a I don't know like it's it's framed so weird within different and and the culture that I grew up in right is like it's framed as like well that's not that's like the devil or something or I, I don't it's weird but like what if we were just more accepting of people and what they wanted to do? We were just like, hey, that's kind of cool. Like, if you, if you don't feel like you fit in here, like okay. The, you do you. My yeah. kids say that to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you do you, mom. You do you, mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think but it's getting better. It I is. really do. Case in I'm, point, the kids, right? Yeah. Your children are talking about you do you. That's like a, a euphemism amongst teenagers, yeah. which is cool. That's not a euphemism that existed in like when you were growing up or even when I was growing up, right? Right. Yeah. So I, I felt like I was very much a product of my environment, my upbringing, my, what was expected of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to make excuses, but just in hindsight, in looking at myself and where I am, um, and maybe even doing a little um, comparing to friends that grew up outside of the church, I see um, how I may have made very different choices had I not been raised the way that I was. For sure. You know, it's, it's just we are kind of a product of our environment a little bit. Totally. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So at what, how old were you and at what point? So we share a small commonality that we've both lost children. 
but yours was very different. And that's something I would like to hear about because I, I, you know, we at the time when Sean was sick, you know, wrapped up in having, I had four babies and I remember just being so wrapped up, not knowing what was going on, maybe not hearing much or maybe being so, um, self-involved myself that I was, I didn't know. So I, I'd love to hear kind of what happened kind of when it started and just more about him. Okay. On top of that. So where you talked in the beginning to me about how I have always been part of your life. I, I remember Sean, you brought him to a, a uh, family reunion. He was just a baby and I just connected with him. That kid is so freaking cute. And Sean, as one of my cousins, I just remember his great personality. He was so funny. Even when, you know, he, he had testicular cancer. I remember I didn't really know that he had testicular cancer because the way that he kind of announced it to the world was like, he was just funny about it, you know? It was like, things I want to do this year, I want to beat nut cancer. I'm like, <laughs> which, I mean, it's just like, that was just who he was, you know? Um, and I think the other thing I want to say is I, I feel like with us, with me and Bethany, when we lost Brighton, I feel like people really um, could sympathize with us a lot. I don't feel like you've gotten that the same way because your child was a little bit older, but maybe, yeah, do, answer what Bethany said first, but I, I want you to know that I, I feel you as a, a father that's uh, lost a child that uh, it doesn't matter the age. It's still just like crazy hard. And so, I don't know, it kind of hurts my feelings a little bit that I don't feel like you get that same love that we do, and you should. Mm. Sorry to be <laughs> too much. No, I, um, honestly, I've watched you two and your strength and I, I just, uh, admire you so much and how you've turned something so hard into such a positive thing, you know, to help other people and to let Bridie live on, you know, in the best way that you can, because it's a tough it's a tough thing. I don't want to turn into a big boob here. <laughs> Although I guess some people like big boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Any guy listeners. <laughs> Good deflection. Way to get away from feeling emotions, people. Probably not when everybody's like tearing up. We're like, let's make a joke quick. <laughs> well, I, I'm yeah, I'm curious. So so I don't know this the story of your so this is your oldest son, correct? Yes. So he he served a mission, um, okay. came off his mission in two thousand six. And um, announced to us after he came home, several months after he came home, he said, I do not have a testimony of the church. Um, I can't. I tried to get a testimony on my mission. Um, I, when he was growing up, we brought the missionaries over all the time for dinners and he really connected with them. You know, he's got this cute, fun personality. So he always just saw himself as serving a mission. Like you guys can probably relate to that growing up in the church. It's just something that's expected of you. And so he always knew that that was kind of expected of him. We never really put a lot of pressure on him to do it. I don't think we did, but I think the culture itself puts pressure to do it. For sure. It was, and, it's a commandment. Yeah. And that was just a given. He was going to go. And I didn't know that he didn't have a testimony but he didn't at the time, he says, or what it, this is what he told me. 
And when he was on his mission, he tried to get that. He felt like if he just threw himself in there for that two years, he would, he would get it if, you know, he really had the faith and just threw himself in there. And he came home and said, I tried the best I could and I, I wasn't able to get that testimony. And I know that I never will if I couldn't in that two years when I was devoting every minute of the day to that. And, um, he also had come across some information that was troubling to him about the church. And, um, there was no answers for those things because they were the truth, you know, but they were presented in a way that they were anti-Mormon, um, things, but they were actually the truth and nobody had answers to answer him. So, Strong kid that he was, smart kid that he was, he he came out to us and he said, I don't want to tell you this because I know how much it's gonna hurt you, but I can't I can't stay in the church. And um it did hurt at the time, even though I I honestly had some similar doubts, I shoved it down because um that's what you do. You know, that's what you're taught to do. You doubt your doubts. So um, I tried to show him love, but I'm sure in hindsight I would do things way differently. You know, I would have been way more supportive of him in that moment than I was. I have some regrets about that, but you can't go it's back. Not, it's not even your fault, though. I mean, you look at it and you think life when you're in you think life outside of this you're not going to be happy all you want the best is for your child so you think this is the best right and so yeah. it didn't it, you know i did I the say best, this I best could. Yeah. yeah it's not your fault you know it's all you knew i did so. the best i could in the moment and um anyways he was a strong kid and i admire him so much like and um so yes he he left the church um he was doing his thing. He wanted to be a doctor and I'm going to go into that. I'm kind of veering off here. Sorry, but he wanted to be a neurologist because his father was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2002. Um, and so my husband, you know, struggles with health issues and Sean being the good kid that he was, he wanted to help his dad. So um, that was his goal, was to become a neurologist and be a doctor. So he was in school to do that. And um, he, while he was in a class in the fall of 2007, he met um, a girl. And, well, he, he said that he sat down next to the cutest girl in class because he had designs to kind of meter. <laughs> so uh, smart, smart kid. Yep, yep. And, um, he did and they, t they talked and hit it off very quickly and, um, started dating and, um, got very serious, very fast. She was not a member of the church. She's, um, part, uh, she's a church of Christ member, very active in her church. She grew up kind of similar where her dad was kind of like the equivalent of a bishop. So, um, you know, kind of the head of her church. So she had a lot of similar, um, moral upbringing, you know, um, very good people, just through and through good people just would give you the shirt off their back. And, um, in 
he started to get sick, like um, around Christmas time. He started to complain about having back pain. And he played football in high school, and we kind of, you know, he'd wrestle with his friends, and they'd get, you know, boys. they just kind of injure themselves all mm-hmm. the time. And we just kind of thought, oh, it's just an old injury. You didn't pay much attention to it. But it just like kept coming back and he was in school and busy. So he's like, I'm just going to go to the urgent care and get pain meds. So he was like doing that. And then finally in December, around December time, he did blood, a blood test and went to a primary care doctor. And um, the results came back that he something was off. So they sent him to get an MRI and the MRI showed that his body was full of tumors, like his whole abdomen was full of tumors and tumors that had started in his lungs. And um, he was diagnosed with late stage three testicular cancer. Um, it wasn't in his brain yet, but um, close. And uh, they still gave us really good odds that he could beat it, you know, and he tried to keep a, like, um, Kevin said he had a really good positive mental outlook as much as you can. You know, he's a funny kid, always trying to make everybody laugh. And he had a really quirky sense of humor that, you know, like a big ray of light that just is super missed, you know, just anyway. Um, yeah, so. How long ago did you pass away? 2010. It was Memorial Day of 2010. So, uh, That's tough. yeah, he, uh, he battled testicular cancer for two years and, um, they did original chemo on him, which beat the cancer back. Um, and then the, the idea after that was to have, um, surgery to get any residual tumor that was left after that first round of chemo. Um, during that time, he decided he and Karen decided to get married and they went on their honeymoon and then um he came back and had the surgery and um it didn't get all of it unfortunately um it the tumors were wrapped around his aorta and um the doctor tried to get as close as he could um but didn't get all of it so Um, We sent him back to Indiana, which is where um, Dr. Einhorn is. He's like the the doctor that actually developed the chemotherapy for testicular cancer. Um, His doctor here was in contact with Dr. Einhorn, but um, they, um, you know, by email and stuff, but... um, Probably in hindsight, I would have sent him directly there as opposed to like getting treatment here had I known what I know now. But they tell you Utah's, you know, Huntsman Cancer Center, you know, we're cutting edge and you just trust, you know, you do the best you can with what you know at the time. And um, but they have a whole facility there that's just dedicated to that. And I probably would have just sent him directly there to start out with. But, um, Had you known at the time, yeah, which you can't be probably yeah. I, I don't blame myself because yeah. I I did the best I could, and you know. But um, so he went back there and had um, like high dose chemotherapy, and they did another surgery on him um, to 
they had they cut out a section of his his aorta to get the, all of the tumor, and then they stitched it back together. It's amazing what that they can do. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah, but he suffered like intensely. Like he didn't heal all the way from that, and you know he had this incision that went from the top of his chest all the way down, and you know he. It didn't heal for a time, and he was oozing pus out of it. And I mean, I'm not to get graphic, but the kid endured all kinds of horrible shit, like stuff that people should never have to go through. And, you know, I... Anyways, he tried his best to um, beat this. And at a time, he had beat it back to a point where Karen... Karen and he felt like they could start a family together and they really wanted a family. And he had banked his sperm. So um, they got some money from a tax return that they got and they used that money to go do in vitro fertilization. And um, they were able to get three embryos that made it all the way through this cycle of the in vitro cycle. And um, the doctor advised to only implant one, maybe two, and they chose to do two just to increase their odds that at least one would take. And both took. So um, Karen was pregnant with tw- twins, our twin granddaughters, at the time that uh, Sean's cancer came back with a vengeance. And they said that it was leukemia. And it had it had gone from testicular cancer to leukemia. And his body was too weak from fighting the lu- the testicular cancer to treat the leukemia. So they told him he had four months to live. And he was like, I'm, my goal is to make it till the girls are born. I can do this, you know. And um, unfortunately, two days later, he passed away. Like he slipped into a coma and he passed away. But... Um, in a way, I'm grateful for that because, like, he suffered so much, and I hear that leukemia is like a terrible way to die, and I would not, I would not want him to have had to suffer through that. But um, I feel like he still got to see his girls. Like, I have faith in things, even though I'm not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints anymore in my mind, I mean, technically I still am because I haven't resigned, but I, I still have great faith in a lot of things that it doesn't have to take that away from me. Right. Like as much as people want to take that away from me, I've been accused of that. Like people think that your connection to God is based upon some religion and it's not your connection with God is completely separate from that. Sorry. Didn't mean to get emotional. Don't be sorry. We like when people get emotional. You're doing great. How dare they take that from me? That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's me. That's who mm-hmm. I am. It's not any of their business to take that away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they don't, they can't. I mean... We feel the same way. So. I was going to say I've had similar And not everybody does it. Things. Not everyone. I'm, I don't want to be accusatory, but I have been asked that question. Like, or the question of, aren't you afraid you won't see Sean in the next life? Yeah, that. Yeah, I've been asked that. Yeah. And also... And it's, it's not... 
I, I feel the same way as you. I don't have any answers. I don't have any for sures, but no one does. But I, I, for me, I know in my heart that there's something and I can feel it. And I've, I've had so many experiences where I, I know she's close. I don't know how, but I know she is. And so it's like, it, I, I agree with you. It's like, there's, I mean, we're moms, we're, we're parents, we have a connection that doesn't go away when someone passes away. It doesn't. It's still very much there. They're still very much a part of us. And so whatever the next life or whatever happens after this life, that connection will never go away. We'll always be a part of each other. Yeah. Like the connection is love. It's not about whether you went through some temple and had some ordinance. Mm -hmm. It's about love. Like if you don't love each other, you're not going to be connected to each other. But if you do then you are like, that's the binding force on earth and in heaven for me. Like that's what really matters. Like that's the whole purpose of our existence. That's what God is, right? God is love. Yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah. And how dare anybody try to take that away from me just because I believe differently from them. Like I don't, you know, I mean, there's so many good people in this world that, have their own beliefs and their own religions and, you know, how dare anybody presume that they're not just as worthy or just, uh, they're not going to have the same binding ability to be with their families after this life, you know, like if that not, and some people don't believe that. And I'm not even trying to say that people have to believe that, but if you do, then Nobody else has the right to take that away from you. Yeah. I, 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 so I connect with your story on a very personal level because cancer robbed me of, of my most, like my best friend. He's my cousin. We did everything together. Podcast listeners know. Um, he had melanoma and he was 22 when he died. And it was, it was horrific to and watch Sean him. was 25. Yeah. To watch uh, an an adult child pretty much. I mean, we were kids to waste away and then trying to wrestle with this idea of like, well, and this is according to me, right? Why are we just waiting around to see these people? I don't think that you have to. I don't think that it's a waiting game. They're here all the time, whenever you want them. And that's a weird thing for people to grasp and like wrap their heads around because it's scary to think that like maybe there's more than what we can just see, smell, taste, touch and hear. Maybe there's something more than that. But I, I, the more people I talk to, the more I realize that that's true. There's something beyond that that connects us to the people we've lost and I have felt that so many times. It's undeniable. And I know without a freaking doubt that Justin is around and that I, I, I don't see him. I don't have to. I don't hear him. But I feel him all the time. Right? And like that's something that we can all connect to. And when you create 
rules and ideology around whether or not you're allowed to feel or be with the person you've lost, all we do is separate ourselves from each other. Yeah. We're not connected anymore. Right. Not only are we not connected to them, but we're not connected to each other. And the whole point of life is to connect to each other around our own suffering. Right? Yeah. And anyway, so that, that, that's how I feel. And that's what I think. And that's my own experience. And I agree with that. So one, as a, as a, going back to Sean, as a spectator, I remember knowing that he was going to die. It wasn't a matter if he was going to live anymore. And then seeing that, you know, Karen was pregnant with the twins and, you know, his whole purpose at that point was just to see those, those girls and he didn't make it. And I remember me looking, I, I felt awful, not even close to what I'm sure you felt. Since then, what, what is it like having those granddaughters? And there's more to it that you can tell the story after the two granddaughters, obviously. What is that like being a grandma now to two little girls that are basically your memory of your son now? Do they give that memory of him to you at all? They do. And I have three that are actually his biological children. And um, that's a miraculous story in and of itself. Like, I feel like um, that could be a book, really. (laughs) I mean... That's crazy. Honestly, um, Karen, you know, strong girl that she is, just hung in there and is this great mom, you know, she gave birth to the twins and, um, pushed through to be this good mom through the process. I can't imagine how hard that was for her. Like just, she was devastated. I know she was, but she knew she had to like step up and she did. And, um, you know, I just admire her so much for even standing by my son through the whole thing. Like, they had only been dating for a few months, but she loved him, and she went through the whole cancer process with him and was right there by his side every step of the way and was his greatest supporter and, um, like, huge blessing to him. Like, she, she made so many of his dreams come true, like to be able to get married, to marry the love of his life and to have, you know, to know that he was going to be a dad. I can remember when he told me, when they told us that she was pregnant and how excited, the look of excitement, you know, just so happy, you know, just uh, like he, he got to experience some of those milestones in life that, um, I'm grateful for that he got to have, you know, because that's the thing. Like when you die, when a child dies young, you're robbed of seeing those things. And I'm sure that that's one of the hardest things for you guys every time. Not to bring up hard things, but, but every time anniversaries of things roll around and it becomes their birthday or something, you're reminded that... They'd be a year older, and this is what they'd be doing. And as you watch you your see friends, the friends, they're the friends yeah. that they had. And yeah. You, some, I, some of the hardest part is when you see pictures, and you're like, 
you know, for me at least, Brighton is like forever four, you know, and so that's just all I remember her as. And but she'd be eight now, and yeah. it's weird seeing her friends eight and thinking this is what she would look like now. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. Yeah, and I mean, you watch their friends that age, like Sean, the Sean's peers, his close friends, you know graduating from dental school or things like that. And you think, wow, that would be him. He'd be graduating from med school. And, you know, I mean. So you, just a second ago, we, we've talked about the two kids. And you said there's three. Yeah. So, so I'm getting that to happen. that. Yeah. Right. So just making sure you don't. So, yeah, I got to go circle back. Thanks for keeping me on track <laughs> here. But, yeah, he um, they got um, after Sean passed away, Karen had um, Matt reach out to her. Matt had been in contact with Sean, had found Sean's blog online, and um, had connected with it because Matt was diagnosed with testicular cancer. So Matt um, had been in contact with Sean, and Sean had been talking with Matt and helping him through his cancer. Uh, Matt was in stage one, so he, his outlook was a lot better you know, um, and they had connected. And so Matt heard, you know, through things that Sean had passed away. So he reached out to Karen and they started talking. Karen said, Hey, I know your whole story. Cause, um, Sean's filled me in and I, I want to help you however I can. And so they started talking as friends. She was on bed rest. Um, after his death, and he, he, you know, needed support going through his cancer, so they became friends and started talking, and then after um, the twins were born, he asked if he could come see them, and came out to see them, and their friendship developed into a love connection, and um, they ended up getting married, and um, Matt was open to the idea of using the third embryo that was frozen, and because so, he couldn't have kids anymore, because right, his so testi- testicular cancer. Yeah. So um, yeah, they they and his insurance through his job actually paid for fertility treatment, which was like a huge deal. That's so, awesome. So yeah, wow. they were able to have our little third granddaughter. Um, Audrey and she's like the perfect little girl like it's hard for me it's mind-boggling for me to think of her as being frozen for three years (laughs) and like coming out like this perfect little funny girl that like is just hilarious like she brings us so much joy they all three do they're when I look at them they're like all they all have little pieces of my son in them you know they all look very much like their mother because you know She's half Chinese, and I and you know those genes are strong; they come through. But they're beautiful girls, and they all have little pieces of him in their looks and in their personalities. And um, how often do you get to see them now? Since every week. Oh, you see them every week. Yeah, they wow. live. They moved into our neighborhood close to us. Oh, so yeah, lucky. they bought a nice um, home there, and um, they come over every Sunday for dinner and. Um, sometimes during the week I get to babysit them too. And I think that's so cool that someone that is not even from the guy side. So Matt 
wanting you guys to be a part of these girls' lives, I think, is really yeah, cool. I'm so grateful yeah, that, like, we love him. Like, he, you know, just like our son and Karen, you know, just like our daughter, we love them. And they've been so great to, like, keep us a part of their life. I know that's got to be hard when you've got, like, your own families and stuff. So, we're... Yeah, you, you weren't kidding. That's like a Nicholas Sparks <laughs> Isn't novel. Isn't that like a crazy That's story? That's the coolest story. Oh my God. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a Nicholas Sparks. It's only Nicholas Sparks. It's like freaking notebook round two. As soon two. as he said that, I'm like, that, that. write a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I Love mean, in, in trying to find little positives in the hard things, like I have so many of them. And my son, like while it's really difficult as I watch life go by, I think... Oh man, he would love being here and being a dad and being involved with his daughters. There's nothing he would rather do than that. And he would have been the greatest dad. Like he's so, he was so good with kids and so fun. But at the same time, like I, I guess I just try to keep the idea that um, I just don't understand why. But but there's got to be some kind of reason, maybe. That I don't know, and I, maybe I, and maybe know. he's there. Yeah, like that. That's my point. In, yeah. in, in my the way that I think about it, it is like maybe he is. Like who's to say he's not? Yeah, just because we can't see, hear, touch, smell, whatever. Him, maybe he's there. Maybe maybe he's a part of getting Matt and and um, your daughter in law together. I mean, what? I know we I, don't know. I, the reason why I like this idea and the reason why nobody's ever going to take it away from me, even if it's not true, because I don't really care, is because <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. The fact that, like, they were all still connected is just so cool to me. And, like, yeah. no one can tell you he's not there. Yeah. Ever. And you can believe that if you want. You don't have to. But why not? Yeah. That's my favorite thing. It's like, can you prove your theory to me? <laughs> nope. Yeah, right? Me neither. Nope. So I let's know. all just have our own ideas. Yeah. Well, and you, well, there's so much sleep. evidence that stuff like that exists. Like it's it's not just coincidental, like happenstance, lucky things that are happening constantly over and over to remind you of this person at the right time, at the right place. And you're there and you see something over and over and over again. You're like, that's got to be. And then there it is again, right when you're thinking about it. Like that's not coincidence. No. It's not. Well, and I've had I had a really, really powerful spiritual experience um, when Sean was a baby, and um, I framed it through the eyes of Mormonism at the time, but I can see now it clearly had nothing to do with that. Um, I, it, but it taught me some things. Like I can't deny what happened to me. It was so powerful that it it was real, and. Um, I'm so grateful for it because it's given me strength to get through this. Like, So here's a question I have, and I, I don't know if you actually said this to me or if I heard it through the... I think actually you heard it from my mom. So if it makes you mad, it's from my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Diane. No, it's, you wouldn't be mad about it. But I heard that, I don't know if it was you or Jeff, where you guys felt like the reason why Sean died was because of how he was conceived because 
Is that, is that false? No. Okay. I've never felt that. Okay. Um, I don't know if Jeff's ever felt that. He hasn't conveyed that to me, but... Um, My mind never said that then. I totally made it up out of the top. <laughs> <laughs> but there was things that were said that were hurtful. I'm not going to go into them, though, by not not your family, but some family members. That, okay. Um, no, yeah. I, was just, I was just wondering if that yeah. guilt was still there to the point where... So many years later, even after Sean was a grown man, where him passing away, you still had the two connected, but obviously that was off base. I mean, just the things that were said, I'm not going to say who said it or anything, but I will share it just because I think it's good for people to realize the hurt that they cause other people sometimes. Like um, somebody actually said to me that they felt like, he was going through that hardship because he had left the church. Like that he was given that challenge so that he would get his faith back. You know, like God was testing him so that he would try to... Yeah, because, you know, people that are in the church don't get cancer. Right. Yeah. Um, I know. That, that's, a hard, that's a hard pill for me to swallow because I've heard I know. so similar. And I, I was so devastated at the time that it was said to me directly because, for one, they were chastising me as a mother at the time. They said that I needed to be stronger in my faith so that I could help him to get his faith back. And um, it really, really, really hurt at a time when I was really struggling myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't helpful. No. And that's, yeah, I've, I've had similar experiences. Obviously it's a little bit different, but same, just those, the comments and people in their minds, I think they, they think they're helping you. They yeah, think they they're do. pushing you in that right direction. Yeah. I mean, I don't like, blame them. And it's I, a dagger to the heart. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm already hurting. Don't, yeah. we don't need to like pour some salt on my wounds. Yeah. And I don't, I, I really am not a person that harbors animosity toward anybody. So I, I tell you, I have completely let that go. Um, I only bring it up because I want to share so that other people can understand that it does cause pain to people. Well, we were told the same thing that Bridie passed away. So that way we might come back to the church and I'm oh, like, gosh, wh- sorry. What? It it just, it's heartless and people don't even understand sometimes the words that they say are just like, why don't I have the worst thing ever happen to you and then have me say that to you, please. You know, when just because I leave a religion doesn't mean that I've now become this person that deserves that, that cruelty, you know, that's just ridiculous to me. Um, Okay, so what kind kind of, sorry. So in in making a positive out of all this, I'm going to try to turn it around because I've been kind of... Jeff Jeff got cured of MS. No. Oh. (laughs) No, No? that didn't happen. (laughs) Um, We're still struggling with that. Um, He's, you know, when Sean's death happened, um, his health took a turn for the worst. Um, He's... Jeff's health took a turn for the worst when Sean died? Right. Yeah. Um, the emotional stress, maybe it was just the timing that it would have happened anyways. Um, MS is one of those diseases that's very individual, so you don't know. You know? I, I almost want to paint like a picture of what your husband was like a little bit for, for people to understand. So growing up, 
Jeff, to me, was like my favorite uncle. Like, he was just so much fun. He loved to play basketball. And he's, being down in Vegas, he was always in the hotel scene. So we'd always see all these famous people, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. Well, he went to UNLV, right? Yes. Yeah, he went to UNLV. Mm -hmm. And that was back when they had, like, Larry Johnson and, like, one of the best college basketball teams of all time. Well, Jeff was super good at basketball, and he would play pickup ball with all these guys. And I remember playing basketball with Jeff, and he'd be draining three-pointers. He could dunk and stuff. And if you see him now, it's like he is a shell of what he, what he was. And it's, it's really sad. I mean, I remember I went with him a couple of years ago. I mean, it's been more than I could. It's been like over five years ago, I went with him to a movie and I remember it was so upsetting to me because like we're in the movie and he's got like blood coming out of his ear, coming out of his nose. And I'm like, it, it was really hard for me to understand because he was like an idol of mine. And then to see his, his body just doing things that I've never seen happen before was, it, I remember I came home and I was like crying. I was like, that was like super um, difficult when you have someone that you look up to so much be in so much different, I don't know, state. So anyway, that, that's kind of my outsider looking in of what Jeff was. Is that pretty accurate, would you say? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. He's been through, he's been through some hard things. Like, you know, when you're robbed of your health and you're, he started to, um, the disease affects you cognitively. Um, I didn't realize at the time because he's pretty good at hiding it. Like when you're around him, he can still, you know, be that funny guy. And, um, but it was affecting him and he started losing his jobs. Um, our financial situation became very tenuous and, um, we had to start living off of credit cards a lot because we just, I wasn't working full time. I was working part time. Um, and then, well, about the time Sean got his cancer, I had to pick up my hours. Well, I was, had picked him up before too, but I had to keep my hours up because I was providing the health insurance because Jeff's employment had already been fluctuating. So, um, I was providing the health insurance for Sean when he was going through his cancer. So I was in the dental hygiene program at the time and had planned on like stopping work because they told me I couldn't work and do that at the same time. But given Sean's cancer, I wasn't able to do that. I felt like, so I dropped out of the program to spend more time with him and to keep working so that I could provide the insurance. So that kind of um, affected my livelihood situation too. Um, and in the process of that, my income was nowhere close to what Jeff's was. He was a hotel manager, made a good income for our family. And um, we took a financial nosedive um, and ended up having to declare bankruptcy with all of the medical bills and just trying to get by with day-to-day -day life. And so it's kind of crazy to like, 
completely have to start over financially at, you know, the age of 50. And um, everything you've worked for your entire life is just kind of gone. Like, it's kind of a weird thing, but it, I'm so grateful. I mean, I know that this is going to sound really weird, but I'm really so grateful because I have learned so much about myself. And I've learned what's important. And none of that is important. Like, I don't need trips. I don't need a big house. I don't need any of that. Like, none of it matters. really doesn't. Like, you can find joy in every day. And I, I don't know what's caused this in me, but I came out of this really dark depression that I was in. I didn't really realize that I was carrying it around. It was, I I guess the best way to describe it would be like a fog. You know, after Sean's death, I was kind of in this fog and going through the motions because you have to. And, um, all of a sudden, like I realized how my son wanted to live so badly, right? And he would have done anything to be able to live. And I'm given this opportunity to live. And it's like, I look around me and every day there is something amazing to live for. Like, I just see a sunset or something and it's just magnificent to me. And I know that probably sounds corny or weird, but I, it's like a gift I feel like I've been given. Like, I don't know, maybe it's my angels or something that are helping me. I think it's absolutely beautiful, honestly. Like, if more people could live like that, because you're like, I don't need the trips. I'm like, shoot, I really feel like I do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no, don't get me wrong. Like, I look at that and I think how fun that would be, you know, but I can find, like, just so much fun in taking a hike or just... Anything. No, and I think I think that's amazing. I really do. Anything every day is like, as I said, I wanted you on the podcast because, like, I look up to you because you're telling your story, and it's like we have part of what your story is, and your story is still continuing to this day, and you're still somehow have a smile on your face, and I don't know how you do it all the time because. I would be miserable in my mind. I think that, you know, obviously you deal with what you're given a lot of times. So how do you do that? Because I have so much to be grateful for. I really do. Like I'm healthy. I have beautiful family. I have this world that's just like so amazing. I have people that love me. I have, I don't know. I'm, I, I have help from somewhere, maybe. I just, I feel an inexplainable desire to live. The great Brene Brown (laughs) has said, I don't have to chase extraordinary moments to find happiness. They're right in front of me if I'm paying attention and practicing gratitude. It's so true. It's beautiful. And that's you. Like you you exude that like this this joy, this groundedness having gone through what you've gone through. I, I love what you said when you said I'm grateful 
for everything that's happened because I've grown from it. There's meaning in that. And that's, that's, the, that's the trick to the difficult times is finding the growth in it, finding meaning in it and making it yours, right? The, the, the adage of like, stop being the character in your story and start being the author. Yeah. Like you're the writer of, it's your story. Like you get to tell it the way you want to tell it. This isn't happening to you. You're happening to life and you take gratitude and it grounds you in reality and you can get it through anything. Yeah. I, I realized that maybe I was being a little bit of a victim. I, I don't want to be a victim and you know, every day has, has ways to look at things differently and I'm still learning how to not live in fear Mm-hmm. Uh, and to just, you know, try to find out what my purpose is. Like I, I've have, I, I've had to like totally refigure who I am. Right. I'm 56 years old and the rug was completely pulled out from under me. Like everything that I thought was true, I've had to view through different eyes now, but instead of like it being limiting to me, it's opened up this whole beautiful way of viewing life now. Like I can see so much more beauty and, and things can make sense in so many different ways. I don't have to like view things through a certain lens instead of like it being dark and gray. Like I was told it would be if I left the church everything's got color now to it. Everything is like endless possibilities and it's all beautiful. Like I just, I feel like, and what you're saying sounds so similar to me where it's, it's, there's not just one way. There's not just one path. So then I'm like, what other paths are there? Like, I love this. I want to, I want to see them. I want to check them out. I want to learn. I want to be a part of them. Yeah. Where before I just thought, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And just had, it was all lined up. It was all, and yeah, the world around me was dark and scary and evil. And now I'm like, wow, like there, it's, I feel a lot how you do with still pulling out of some of those depression moments (laughs) with losing Bridie. Oh, it's a lifetime. Not with the other stuff, just with Bridie. Yeah. But just like, yeah, seeing things and being like, oh, this is so cool. I get to be a part of some of these experiences that I never would have been a part of. I have these friendships that I never would have had had I had been so limited on my thought process, you know, where now it's like, I do, I look at other people and I'm like, oh, that's totally different from the way I've ever lived. I wonder what that's like. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And it's just eye-opening and it's amazing. Yeah. So I love that. I love that you feel the same way. Yeah, and you don't have to look at... I, I've never been a judgmental person, I don't feel like, although I'm sure I was. Do you know what I mean? Like, Well, everyone is to an extent. So yeah. That's so real for you to say that. I, I, owning that, that shows a lot. Man, sorry, I'm a little stuck on my... But that shows a lot about your character. The fact that you're like, I've never been judgmental, but I'm sure I was. Like, people... That's every human being on the planet, like have some ability to look inward and realize where you need growth, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, well, so sorry, I mean, I, I, and things so that great. I even did or said, I know that I was right. For sure. For sure. But at the time, I would have considered myself not a super judgmental person. Yeah. Like I've always been open to people being who they are, you know, mostly. And I, I've always been very self-aware of my own failings or faults. So I'm the last person to want to like, you know, say, Oh, you know, what are they doing? You know, cause mm-hmm. I've got enough of my own things to worry about. Right. Like it's all about being a better version of ourselves. Like who cares what other people are doing? Like let them live their lives. If it, makes them happy, then I'm happy for them. Like, honestly, it really, why do we care? Why do, why do we have to force people into this little box that we want them to be in? It it doesn't, you know, how does that help us? Like it doesn't. It doesn't. So true. And all it does is make you feel restricted and not being yourself. Yeah. It's kind of like you said earlier when you said, I never felt like I fit. And I, I have felt like that so many times in my life. And I don't, it's not always religion. Sometimes it's families, the family you grew up in. Sometimes it's the friendship you find yourself in. Sometimes it's the job you find yourself, the career path, whatever. There's so many different ways where people, you get to that point sometimes and you're like, this isn't me. I, I feel it. This isn't me. And you can't always pinpoint what it is. And then when you finally somehow break out of it and you start to feel a little more like you, it is so, it's freeing. Yeah. It's just liberating. It's just, it's, it's great. It's not always perfect. It's not always, everything's not wonderful and everything doesn't always fall in line. But at least you're living the life that you're choosing and not that someone else is telling you to. Exactly. And that's a big deal. It is. And, um, and in the whole process of like, while sometimes it seems like it would be easier to push myself back into that box where I had everything figured out, Mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's, it is easier in some ways, right? You, you have all the answers. You don't have to, to, it doesn't hurt the brain a little bit to have to think of, wait a minute, if I'm not told what is right and wrong and what all these decisions are, what do I actually think? Yeah. And sometimes for people that can be really difficult, myself included, on certain aspects, but it can also be very beautiful too right. because you make your story. You know, it's yeah. like it's like you said earlier before we were on the podcast where it was hard for you because you know, I can't, I can't remember. Maybe you're saying, Oh, you were saying with Jeff, your husband, that it's hard for him. So he's still in the church and you're out of the church and he has MS really bad. And for him, it's a very comforting thing being part of the church and understanding in his mind, what understanding is of what's going to happen. Well, for me, I would, I look at it very differently where it's like, just because I don't, have that same mindset that I used to does not mean that it's any more beautiful than what mine, my new version is so much more beautiful. And I think for people, it's really difficult sometimes to think that like, I don't know why everyone always turns to, it has to be worse. Yeah. I look at it. It can be so much better. Yeah. So much better, you know? Well, and not only that, I 
for some reason, it was very freeing for me. I feel like that shame and guilt that I carried around that I, even on a subconscious level, I didn't really realize I was doing it. But all of a sudden, when I let go of that, it's like, wow, I have so much more energy. I feel so happy. I like it just freed me in some way that I never realized. Um, and I don't know, maybe you have to go through it to, to know what I'm talking about, but, um, I, I just really feel like all of it has kind of brought me to a place that's good. Like, I feel like I'm in a really good place as much as I can be given. I mean, I'm not going to say there's not hard days or, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've learned that you really have to live in the moment. If I start thinking too far into the future, I can get in my head a little bit. I have to take each day at a, at a time and like really look at what I have in that day that's positive and to find gratitude in the day. And then I'm okay and I'm good. But um, I think too, maybe for me, and I don't know if, this might be how you feel a little bit too. It's when you lose someone or when someone's passed away that's close to you and it's, <clears throat> it makes life for me now. I just think I don't, I want to enjoy it. Yeah. Like if I'm going to be here and not be, you know, and I, I feel like I'm going to see Bridie sometimes. So that's fine. I'll enjoy her later. We'll get to that in whatever life, but in this life right now, what I can see, who I can feel and touch and love, I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. And I'm going to enjoy it to the fullest. And yeah. for me, my fullest may be extreme or it may be different than someone else's, but I'm going to enjoy it because I don't know how many years I have and I'm not going to worry about that. Exactly. So every day I'm going to have, try to have a great day. Doesn't always work, yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> As Kevin smiles like, oh, they're not always great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's... It's, you don't have to sugarcoat anything because it's hard. No matter how you look at it, it's hard. But um, I I do think that um, in not having all the answers, it does, like, let you find new ways. So... So going forward now, since you're 56, you got like 56 years left. <laughs> you're halfway. I'll defy all, <laughs> all age. <laughs> what, uh, what's your why now going forward? Like, what's your why and what do you feel like the biggest thing you've learned in your first 56 years of life is? Um, the thing I've learned is that you never know <laughs> where you're going to wind up. <laughs> I never would have guessed that I would be here doing this, saying the things I'm saying. <laughs> like, you know, even at your age, life looked so different at that point. Like, you know, we don't know what's coming for us, but... Um, we make the best of what we're given and we can always find good in, in things. I love that. It's beautiful. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen and you get to decide what that means to you. Yeah. Super cool. This has been 
Incredible. Seriously, think I needed so that rad. today. I needed to sit and hear you say, "Be grateful." <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Be happy. I've been a little bit of a uh, like wah wah lately. I don't You've know been a better watching word. A ton of Jersey Shore. That's how. That, that's the only thing that makes us feel better. <laughs> Mind numbing TV. It works every time. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta. I know. So I just yeah. Really, I really love. Good. I. This is my favorite thing about the podcast. Is I feel like. I love hearing people's stories and I love hearing how, yeah, your day to day and how you keep moving and how you figure it out and you're constantly learning and I love it. And it makes, it makes me want to be better and enjoy and be grateful and it, it works for me. This is my therapy. I always say that it was the honest truth. Ask Kevin. I've not been good without it lately. Well, <laughs> same for me. I look at people like you guys, you know, and ev- everybody has a story, right? Everybody has something they can share with each other and we can learn so much from each other. And, uh, it's all about the love. It really is all about the love. It's all about it, the folks. love. Love it. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you com- coming on Kathy. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Take care.